0: We're studying 1 John, and each week i like to pull something from John's life, from his, where he's lived, to, to give us insight behind what he is writing to us in 1 John. He's written 1 John when he's older, it's at the end of his life, and so he's had many experiences that he's gone through that then inform the text that we're going to read, and so i like to go and try to find something behind that text that, that could have informed him. Let's start this morning with his account of the Gospel, John. So the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Gospel of John, so it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 14. Very famous chapter. I'll give you the setting. i like to know where it's coming from. Plus, there's that old adage, never read a Bible verse. You know, we need to know the context in which it is, you know, because if not, you can make a Bible verse say whatever you want. And so we are trying to take it in context. Uh, this is, uh, the setting is, it's the, uh, they've eaten the last bites of the Passover. And Jesus is uh, talking to them now in this afternoon. The meal and he'd taken the Passover and he changed it to what we celebrate as communion we'll celebrate this morning in this way a, a reminder he changed it from a reminder um, you know the communion service that we do now it no longer points to when the, the 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 Jews were in Egypt where God brought them out and to remind them how God had delivered them out of Egypt you know and how the the, the sacrificial lamb had been given and the blood had been applied to the doorpost and they had to eat it he has taken that ceremony that, that, that Jewish rite, and he's changed it and he transformed it to remind us about him about how He's taken us and He's saved us from not only this world but from our sins. And he's delivered us safely by His death, His burial, His resurrection, by Him shedding His blood. And so He takes these two elements and to remind us this is where our salvation comes from, from His death. It's no longer pointing to a, to a, a sheep that, that died in the past you know, for the Jews that were trapped in Egypt. No, this is telling us about Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that has died for the sins of the world. About the blood no longer employed, uh, uh, applied to the doorpost, but applied to the doorpost of your heart. That now the death angel looks over and he passes over. And so now we have Jesus Christ, the blood applied to our lives. And now we have been adopted into God's family because of what Jesus Christ has done. We are now made sons and daughters of God through what Jesus Christ has done through his death, through his burial and his resurrection. So he's done that and he's done the changing. He says, now you are going to do this in remembrance of me and we will do that this morning. And he says, and you will do it until I come again. And he'll find us doing that this morning. So he's done that. And so it's now kind of, it's the last words of Jesus before he is betrayed and then ultimately crucified. And so that kind of gives it some weight. You know, last words uh, give things weight. It's so easy. You know, when you think of last words, you know, you have fond recollections and, and just, you know, the kind of precious. I think John would perceive them in that way. He gives us the longest account. I think he was hanging on every word. He was closest to Christ as he sat next to him. And Jesus uses these last words to, to comfort his disciples. He uses it to to clarify things that he has said throughout the three years of his ministry. He uses it and and John records his prayer and he prays for you and me, which is pretty cool. You know That that comes later, a few chapters later. But Jesus also uses these words to encourage his disciples, to forewarn them about things that are coming and to instruct his disciples on how to behave and how to act and what's expected of them. And he starts off with the end goal. If you can see the end goal... It helps the process of what you're going through be easier. And they're about ready to go through a hard process. They're going to watch uh, their master, their teacher die a, a horrible, a horrible death. And so, but if they know what it's for, you know, it's going to help that process be a little easier. So that's where he starts out in, in John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. It's words of comfort. Don't be troubled. It's going to be some troubling things you're going to see in the next few days. You're going to have some troubling news. You're going to watch troubling events. John is there at the cross. He watches him be crucified. He's then is given the care of Jesus' mother, and so he watches her be horrified as her son is tortured in front of mankind for who he is. So it's, it's, it's going to be a troublesome time. And then a lot of those questions are going to be why? What's going on? We thought, you know, and, and it's not going as they perceived. So he wants them to have confidence. He says, Let your heart not be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Trust me, believe in me, believe in God, believe my message, believe what I am doing, that I am in charge and I am in control of all this. That would have to be comfort as you're going through horrible things. It's comfort to us now as a pastor And I go to somebody going through horrible things. We're to trust God. We're to know that God is working, that God is moving. We don't understand on this point where we are right here and now, but we are to trust him. And there is comfort in that, knowing that God is using all things to his glory and for our benefit. So Jesus is trying to give them that comfort. The end goal is verse 2. He says, In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go and prepare a place for you. Reward, rest, care, comfort. You know, the, the struggles will be over. There will be a time when you'll be in my father's house and he'll care for you and he'll take care of you and he'll, he'll, he'll house you and he'll feed you and he'll comfort you. He'll give you a place of rest. You don't have to work hard anymore. You'll have a place in God's house. Man, knowing that you have a place there. There's a new name written down in glory. We sing that, right? And yes, it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. You know, We we talk about all these songs that we sing about that. And that's based on stuff like this. Jesus is going to make a place for you. It's personal. I'm making your space, a place for you. I've provided this place. And so if you have him as Savior, he has made a place for you. I have... Thought many an hour on what that would be like. I'm like, ooh, does might have a cave? You know, am I going to have this? <laughs> am I going to have some secret passage? He knows who I am, and that was how I am. And I think he would do things to please me. I, you know, my my wife makes, lets me have a bat room. You know, and so I'm thinking, God the Father would give me some cool thing. To how it works together? I know my wife's going to have a lot of cats and big cats and, and animals and dogs. And I think we we'll have you know so we know all this. He's going to make a spot that represents us and our personality, who we are, and how he made us that way. He might make a place for you, and that's, that's going to be awesome. So he gives them that comfort. It's a place, it's your place. It'll be decorated to your taste, it'll be in that way. A place where we're all together, though. That's good when family's all together. He says, we're all going to be together. There's comfort in that way. My wife doesn't worry near as much when family's all together. We know where they all are. We know they're all right here. You know, oh, we don't have to worry anymore. We're here. We don't have to worry. We're all there. Verse three, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into myself, that where I am you may be also. I'm going to bring you verse four. And whether I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, or how can we know the way? He's like, no, you're 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 talking and assume things that you're saying that we know where you're going. And Thomas. You know, I was always kind of glad. We always kind of had at least one kid in the class, you know, and I was glad we had one kid in the class that would like, I'm like, I'm not going to raise my hand ask a question, but I bet so-and-so does. And it's like, you know, and if he didn't, I was kind of like, why didn't you raise your hand? And it's like, why didn't I raise my hand? You know, but, you know, Thomas is that one guy who's always going to say, like, no, I don't quite get it. You know, it's like where everybody else is always, like, assuming that, yeah, I'm playing along, like, yeah, I understand what's going on. But I'm glad for Thomas's, the ones who ask those hard questions. He's finally like... No, I need some clarity. I'm not sure where you're going. I'm not sure how you're going. I don't know. What way? It's not clear. Help me, Lord. So Jesus does, verse 6. He said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is assuring him, Thomas, you do know the way. I can say that I know you know the way because you do know the way because you know me. And if you know me, I am the way. He says, I am the way that I'm going. I'm the way for you to get to where I'm going. If you're in me, you're going to have that, that, that way. That's the way that you get to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. He says, I am the truth. I am telling you the truth. I am the true way. There is no other way. I am the only way. Says, As a matter of fact, I am life. If you are in me, you will have life. You will live forever. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I am the only way. I am the door. And we could go through the scripture in all these different ways that point that way, that he is the one. And he reiterates it again, you know, that I am the only way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus ends with that. It's me. I'm the difference. I'm the truth. Um, And that is true. It's the truth that Jesus is the truth. His words are true. His instructions are true. His teaching is true. His message is true. All of it is true and he's given it to us in written form so that in 2017 we can read it and study it and know it. And like I said, we have archaeological evidence that verifies this has not changed over time and all this way. We have all these things. We can trust it and examine it. But up to this point when Jesus came, there have been 4,000 years of muddy water going on. There have been lies and deception. There have been false stories told around there have been false accounts there have been false narratives that have been put out there like no here's how we think the world began and no we think it was this way and then here comes some other guy and like no it was happening this way and all these different theories and these thoughts and these teachings and these instructions and here's the way you ought to do it and here's the way you're supposed to do it and they have all these things that come up and he is here to course correct to be like no, no let me put you back on the way you're supposed to go he is to put the train back on the tracks. He is to turn things around. He's to fix our sights, whatever one you want to use. He is there to get them back to where they are supposed to be going. He is here to fix it. He is the truth. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. And I find it interesting that the hard stories, the things that we most wrestle with, are the ones that Jesus brings up. Adam and Eve. Let me tell you a story about Adam and Eve. He verifies it was Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You have a problem with uh, the first Jaws account? Jonah he mentions that, you know. Matter of fact, he uses it and says, "The scripture tells you that I'm going to be dead three days and three nights, just like Jonah was." You know, he uses that. He, t- he takes Noah. You have trouble believing that all these animals are on a ark, is fighting? He mentions Noah and the ark. The last days will be like Noah and the ark, and so he takes all the hard and fantastic stories that we in you know our scientific enlightenment time of 2017. And he verifies this is right. My account is right. This book that I have given you is right and it is true. And Jesus comes and he hits the highlights. It's like, if you have trouble with any of the things, it's going to be these. I mention these. Know that it's true and right. You can trust it. So he is true. His words are true. His message is true. He is telling them that ritual does not save you. Because there's those that are thought, boy, if I go and I do these rituals in this right way, that's going to save me. Because that doesn't get you to heaven. Jesus gets you to heaven sacrifice many of them were trusting in the sacrifices that they were making that that would get them to heaven he's like no my sacrifice me jesus christ i'm the one who gets you to heaven and so he clarifies that the sadducees the pharisees and the scribes that he faced in the thought, they were the religious rulers of their time. They had a little different views, each one of them. And they all were telling you that they had the right way. And Jesus was like, none of you have the right way. I am the way, and you have all perverted it in some way. And so he's there to get them back on track. You know, you get back to what I said, God said. Not your traditions, not what you think and how you interpret. It's what God has said, and he is there to verify and clarify, get back to what this is. That's why I have a little trouble with the Reformation movement that's kind of popular today. It's like, let's get back to the Acts movement. Let's get back to the Bible. Let's not go back to where they had to figure things out again. Let's go back to where they had it figured out, and it's written down for us now. So why stop in time this way? Let's go back to the Bible and stay with that. So Jesus saves us. Jesus redeems us. Jesus rescues us. Jesus purifies us. Jesus is the one who cleanses us. He's the one who adopts us. He's the one who delivers us. Jesus is the way. He's the truth, and he is the life, and he's there to clarify all these things for us. I am truth, I am the way, I am the life. Jesus is true. John got the message. He talks about truth nine times just by using the word truth in 1 John. Not even counting his other writings. And he also uses other ways to say the same thing without using the word truth in this, you know, just by other implications. So he understands that truth is where the battle is. You got to know what what is truth for you to understand and have confidence in your salvation. And he is talking to the family so he wants us to know what is true. Jesus is true. God is true. We're to believe them above all others. Look at uh, 3 John. There's 1st, 2nd and 3rd John there at the end. 3rd John's one of those books you can read in a day. Or 5 minutes. This was about 14 verses. It's a small little book. Third John, and uh, turn to chapter two. Only one chapter, you know. So, <laughs> John, Third John, chapter one, verse four. He says, "I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth." As a teacher, as one of this older apostle who's left, he says, "You know what gives me joy is knowing that they know the truth." And knowing that my children walk in truth, that means live. That's a Bible word for live. That they live in truth. That their word, their, their life is guided by living in the truth. That means they are guided by living in God's word. That, that it is a lamp unto their feet and a light unto their path that is guiding them. And they are living by what he says. Matter of fact, you can take the truth and, and, and insert Jesus. They are living by Jesus. They are living as Jesus would have them live. They are doing what Jesus would have them do. Now let's go to 1 John chapter 5, our text for this morning. With that that is our background that Jesus is truth, that John wants us to walk in truth and live in truth. John chapter 5, verse 9, we'll read down through verse 12. John chapter 5, verse 9 says, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So You can't get much clearer than that. Now, it's in the King's English, so I have a lot of haths in there and stuff, and so it uh, loses a little bit. But he's pretty much telling you if you have Jesus, you have life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. It's interesting. I find he uses court terms. As he verifies it, you know, because he knows who we are. We're not just going to take everything that he's saying. And so he uses words like witnesses. I have witnesses. We've seen witnesses. He uses there in that passage the word record. We can go and check the record. Go and look at the record. What does the record say? You know, we can go and look at that. We, we have the record here written for us in God's Word. He talks about testimony, people who are eyewitnesses. And he says that he is an eyewitness and other eyewitnesses that we can verify these things through, And let alone there's the testimony of people that I would say are here and alive today in this very room, that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and he does transform lives. And so he says, he mentions these record terms here, record, witness, and testimony. And he has his conclusion in verse 12, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. If You don't have Jesus, you don't have life. If you have the Son, you have life. He goes, I, can I can't get it, boil it down to. Matter of fact, a lot of people call this another gospel in a nutshell. If you have Jesus, you have life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. I think that's why when you see Ray Comfort witnessing, they'll ask him, "Are you born again?" And people will be like, "No," because if they don't, if they're not born again, if they haven't had that transaction where their life has been radically changed by receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior, they don't have any hope. And that way you know where you are, where you can witness to him in that way. To get to the point, the thing is, I have to, they have to see themselves as a sinner in need of a Savior. That's what John's wanting us to do. I'm writing this to the family. I want you to make sure that you have the Son, because if you have the Son, you have life. And that is building up to our memory verse that we'll get to next week. It's the same thing Jesus said, just with more words to try to help clarify it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's verse 12, you know. There's no other way but by him. If you have him, you have life. If you don't have him, you don't have life. We are to believe this. We are to trust this. We are to live by this. It should be easy, right? It should be easy to take God at his word. It should be easy to trust him. It should be easy to read the word and say, yep, that's what I stand for. That's where it is. But, I mean, we have testimony. We have witnesses. We have the record. We have the Bible that, that tells us. But what? But what? Why, why, why is it hard? Why do we doubt? Why do we wrestle? Why do we struggle with this? Is this really? Did God really say, is that really? I mean, that's a struggle. It's just, let's just be real and honest with each other. We struggle sometimes with what it says. Is that right? Why? Because we're kind of like, we find ourselves like the father who had a demon-possessed son, Right? And Jesus is, you know, he asks him, how long has this son been possessed? And he's like, well, since he's you know, a young child, and he gets him, he throws him in the fire. And Jesus says, if you believe, I can cast him out of him. And he's like, oh, I believe, help thou my unbelief. That's how we find ourselves with trust in the Bible. Lord, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Well, we're to be desperate like that. We're to, we're to be that trusting in him. Lord, I believe, I want to believe, help me where I'm not believing. That's what John is writing this for, to help us where, where we aren't believing. So we can have confidence because see, we live in this world. That's why we have struggles. That's why we have hard times. This is the battleground for truth. This is the battleground for humanity, right? It's the battleground, and this is spiritual warfare. So a lot of the times it's done in such a way that you and I don't even perceive we're in a warfare. And if he can keep us, if the enemy can keep us out of even the perception of knowing that there's a battle going on, then he's won. We have to see it as the, the struggle that it is. Um, we live most of our lives not even aware that there is a battle going on. If he can keep most people in that category, not even knowing there's a battle going on, he's won. But we're to be shaken awake. The Bible talks about waking out of your sleep, O slumberer. A watchman is sounding the horn on the wall. Awake, awake, do you not see that we are under attack and that we need to be aware of what is going on? John addresses this in verse 9. He says, if we receive the witness of men... The witness of God is greater. For this is the witness which God has testified of his son. God's word all points to his son. But he says, we believe men. And I think that's the problem, right? We believe men because we can see men. It's men's system run by men. We are fed by what men tell us. We are told what men tell us to believe. We are said, this is what you see, right? And this is how it is. And we find these mind games going on. Reports are written by men to convince us of what we see and what we believe and how it ought to work and how it ought to act. And we tend to believe them. Right? They're in a place of authority. They got there that way. People voted for them, I guess. And so we trust them. Famous people, they're famous for a reason. I guess famous people have the answers to everything. We should believe them. Uh, people with degrees, they have an education behind them. Apparently they passed some tests. They must be right. We should believe that person, right? The people, he's on TV. He wouldn't get on TV. He's just I'm not on TV. I must have to believe this guy. He's on TV. He's like behind a news desk. He has power and authority and he's wearing a tie. <laughs> but, you know, so he's doing all these things to, to try to give them confidence. People at newspapers, teachers. Magazine writers, YouTubers, uh, instructors, reporters, scientists, you know, astronauts. Well, we give them authority and we say, well, we should believe them. They're out there in front of us. We've given them millions of dollars and we, or we've given them this or that and the other thing and they have the seal right there in front of them. We, we must believe what they're telling us, right? And in our day, we have so much information coming at us so fast. Which Daniel said would happen in the last days. He said it would be the information age, how things would be coming at us at a rapid pace. Let alone we have it, not just the stories, but we have the images that go along with it. We have pictures that we can put along with it, cropped in the way they want us to see it, shown from the way they want to see us, you know, stopped where they want us to see from this angle and that way. And just to give us confidence that they're telling us the truth. And they have money behind them in that way, and it's a slick broadcast and how it's put out this way. And tons of people are behind them. We're like, it's a whole complex, and look at that facility, and it must be big, and we've got to believe them, right? Our problem is that we believe man and we doubt God. Because that's a lot of the struggle. Verse 10 says He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself, but he that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave unto his Son. It says if you don't believe God and you believe men, that you are calling God a liar. And do you really want to do that? Do you really want to live your life where you're saying, God, you're a liar, I'm calling you a liar, I'm living a life that says by everything I believe and everything I trust and everything I put my life behind, I am saying you're a liar. Do we really want to do that? John's saying, I don't think you want to. I don't think you want to be that person that stands in front of God and says, You're a liar. Matter of fact, we don't even talk about liars that much anymore, right? I and mean, it's kind of PC. Don't call someone a liar. John's not PC. He is telling us not political correct term. He's telling you the facts. He's telling you the cold hard facts. You either believe God or you're calling God a liar. Look look with me at 2 Peter. Hold your spot here, we'll be back, but 2 Peter chapter 2. It's just back a couple of pages. Second Peter chapter two. Peter warns us about this. In chapter two, he's warned us about a lot of things that are coming upon the world. In Second Peter chapter two and verse one, he says, "But there were false prophets also among the people." Second Peter two one. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. False teachers, people who tell us false things, that are in a position to instruct and inform us among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. They're going to teach you to deny God. Verse 2, And many shall follow follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of the truth shall be evil spoken of. We have to watch out for these false teachers. They're going to speak evil of the way of truth. That is, Jesus Christ. They're going to speak evil of Jesus. They're going to speak evil of God. They're going to speak evil of His Word. They're going to cause you to doubt it. Verse 3, And through covetousness, shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. He says, you know why? They do it for money. They do it for money and power. They want to make merchandise of you. They're going to try to win you over to their side so they can have your money. They can have your loyalty and so that they they can pervert you for their own cause, for their own benefit because they are covetous. I want what you have. I want you to work under me. I want you to believe what I believe. And they're going to use these things to try to move you into that way, merchandise of you. Liars who, trut, who trust and pervert uh, lies and who cause you to doubt God and to doubt his word. And yet we receive their witness over God's. Why? History Channel. How many specials have they run that tell you doubt God and his word? you know, the Gospel of Thomas says this, and the Gospel of Mary and Martha, and the Gospel of this, that, and the other thing, and this expert has said, and there's some guys sitting there, I deny everything that the Bible says, well, we got to believe him, right? He's found it this way, and we found this, stuff. Th- and they have a whole hour special just to chip away at your faith. If you thought you could believe this, here's an hour-long special that says why you should not, and they go after it, and Peter Jennings specials, Discovery Channel specials, News Report, Special News Report, Time Magazine, they almost get me every time or Newsweek when they put these special things out, they put Jesus on it, did Jesus really live? Did Jesus really alive again? I'm on a I know it's just going to make me mad I know I can just go through and make all the notes I'm like there's no new news in it. it's them attacking God and His words at every point of, can we believe the Bible can we trust the Bible there's life in outer space and there's all these things that they have them out there to try to do it we're not to trust them don't trust them is what John is telling us don't trust them trust God above any other news source he says trust me trust my word what i'm telling you trust god above every scientist above every astronaut above every teacher if they are not saying something aligned with god's word don't trust them they are showing themselves to be non-trustworthy is what he's telling us trust god over every reporter i don't care what kind of accolades they have or news footage they're showing trust god at his word trust him but most of our lives are built on lies Told to us by liars with no concern or conscience about who we are or what we are doing, only their bottom line and their pocket. Backed by our education system to come along and say, "See, you say the same thing as us, right? OK? And propaganded, and propagated and, and uh, funded by our government and the powers behind our government. Paul calls them rulers of darkness of this world the ones who are in the shadow government moving these things, which has come out in the last two years where we can actually say that, and you're not like, where's your tinfoil hat, Brian? It's in the news that there's a shadow government been behind moving our government that's trying to be exposed, and they're not liking the things that are going on. We are victims of psyops. Psyop, that's a psychology, a psychological operation. And it's on a massive level. Now, we know Satan is the ultimate father of it all, but we also have men who like money who do the same things. You can look up, and I would challenge you to look up, Operation Mockingbird that has been exposed. It tells us that the CIA uses journalism to direct mass opinions. That they will use news stories, news articles, news anchors to promote, as a matter of fact, they write and produce most of the stories that are given to them, and that they write out there to what? For their means, for their means. I'm not making this up. I have the sources I can take you to. They are there to direct us in ways in which they want us to think. Um, one quote was that the director, you know, whether the president, the secretary of state, Congress, the director of the CIA himself will read, believe, and be impressed by our reports. The, direct, the CIA says in their report in Operation Mockingbird, which its title even kind of tells you what it is. We're going to sound like we're a bird, but we're actually a different bird. You know? So they're going to act like they're a true journalism, and they're not. It's been revealed that since 1950s, the CIA has owned and operated foreign and domestic press services, periodicals, newspapers, and English and foreign languages for their cover so that they can say what they are doing so that we can, here's what we're really doing, but they're actually doing this as cover, and we're just to take the news as it comes in and say, yep, yeah, I guess that's what's going on. Yes, I guess that's how it's supposed to be. Dozens of well-known columnists, broadcast commentators, and CIA our oper- are C- CIA operatives. Um, One that's currently in the news right today that is known as Anderson Cooper that he works for and is on the payroll of the CIA out there doing his reports in that way. So are you to believe him or is it a psyop on us to do something? I don't know. Time and Newsweek have close ties to the CIA, the two biggest periodicals, the weekly periodicals that go out and promote news in this way, to try to get us uh, to believe whatever they want us to believe, whatever story they've written. ABC, NBC, Associated Press, Reuters, and others have the same kind of close association. Is any surprise then that Time Magazine is the one in 1966 who had the headline, God is dead? Where they come right out and just pretty much tell you, here's what you should believe. God is dead, live it up. In the 1960s, we had a moral revolt where we took from God's morals and we changed it into whatever feels good, do it. And we are living with the ramification of that. They outright deny God and his standards. They start at the very basics you weren't created in six days. It took millions of years. Look how old a rock is. Look at this old rock. Surely you understand. That's millions of years old. You were not specially created. There's nothing special about you at all. Matter of fact, you're one person on one planet out of eight planets, out of one solar system, out of millions of solar systems, out of billions of galaxies. You are insignificant. You don't matter. You are stardust. You know, and that, that is it. And we're like, oh, thanks. I'll just shoot myself. And people do. So report after report, article after article, they challenge truth. They challenge God and his standards. They despise it. They go after it. God had not said that it's man and a woman. It's whatever you love is who you can marry. Whether it be a dog or a robot or a bridge or a snake, and these are all true reports out there, people who have married these in foreign countries, or a man or two men or two women or a man and a woman or whatever else. Marriage is whatever you make it to be. No, marriage is what God made it to be. He's the one who wrote it down and put the standard, and yet we challenge it in this way. Life begins at conception. No, life begins when we say it is when it's born. You can kill a baby at any point in time. That's what Baal worship is, and that's what we are under. We've killed millions of babies. And God says, choose life. Life is this. Life is to be precious. Life is to be coveted after love. is to be guarded and protected. If you have a murderer, kill that murderer. That's what God says, a life for a life. like telianos. We're supposed to work in that way. Eye for an eye, life for life. And so he's supposed to be it in this way. And God tells us that, and yet they'll argue for letting prisoners live and for babies dying, direct opposite of what God's word says. They'll tell you, they'll even challenge that you don't even know if you're a boy or a girl. You probably won't ever know if you're a boy or a girl. God does not know and God makes mistakes. You can have a surgery to change whatever you want. Matter of fact, everybody should just be nothing. Just put it on there. Matter of fact, the state of California has a new box on there. Other, I guess. I don't know what it is. Binary, non-binary. There's so many choices for sexuality today. No, there's a boy or a girl. That's how it is, and yet God has told us that. He's made in the beginning man and woman. Yet that is under attack each and every day from the White House down, you know, when we dressed it in rainbow colors. And so it's a report, or if it's an article opposed to God's word, throw it out, is what John is telling us. You're going to believe man over God? That's why there's attack on alternative news, right? Because we're supposed to go to the sources that are controlled by the ones that want us to believe these things. That's why they're saying, no, we have to have a news police. We have to have someone who's governing this. Facebook now is going to vet all the news that you get and whether you can put it out that way. Matter of fact, we can't even trust America with it. Let's put control of the Internet over in Europe now. It's like, wait a minute, these are fundamental rights that we fought for as America, the fundamental for these things, and yet we are willingly giving them away. So that's why you should search out alternative news sites versus just buying whatever we're being spoon-fed by the masses. Skywatch, Drudge, Infowars, News Wars, Breitbart are good sources. Let alone the ultimate source of truth is right here. If this says it and it goes against that article, you believe this over that is what the Bible tells us. What God tells us again and again and again and again. All those figures I gave you was from a Global Research article written in 2015 about Operation Mockingbird. You can look it up yourself. And so, uh, God's Word is what matters the most. We are to trust it above all else. It's the ultimate alternative media. <laughs> Uh, read this and it goes against what they are teaching you then don't believe it you might have to answer those questions to pass the test but don't believe it don't let it in your core and who you are not even question that first thessalonians chapter 5 says prove all things hold fast to that which is good test all things is what prove means test it and examine is that true what does God say about it? If God is the ultimate source and authority of truth, which Jesus says, I am truth, and I am the way, what did Jesus say about this if he approached that? And then would you use common sense after that? Is this here or that there? And maybe there is something true in that. Maybe that is real. Maybe that. And we should trust it in that way. They are making, uh, they passed the law to where uh, the FCC, my wife and I watched the news report yesterday, um, FCC did have a standard in that you had to maintain a local news hub in your local community to help us with news reports and snow and traffic and, and to know what is going on in our local area. They've removed that rule now so you can have, all the news will be coming from like one or two sources easier to control that way so we should be against that we should trust God's word we're to test it and examine it and know that it's true the Bible is the ruler that we're to measure with it is the truth stick that we are to lay it down and see what is true and what is right if not I remind you 1 John five ten says you're calling God a liar you know, I'm trying to believe God that means that you're really having trouble with his character and his nature that you can't believe him that means you're just calling him a liar that you can't be trusted, that you've been trying to trust him for a long time but you don't trust him? He says, I have witnesses. I have testimony. Transformed lives. How many of us here can testify to the transformed life of someone who's come in contact with the risen Christ? That changes the way that they were going and the way that they were living. That Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is on the throne. We have a board on the back showing you that God is answering prayers. that you can write down, here's what I pray, little thing. That God has done big things. That God has done. That he's moving. That he is acting. That he still intervenes with the lives of men. It's not like the deists say where he's just a God who started this and walked off. No, he is involved and he is active. So active that he gave his son to die for us. To prepare the way for us. To be the way. To be the truth. And he says, you trust me in my word. We're to trust him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. verse 12 says, He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son has not life. That's the honest, bare-bones truth. John is being real. Scary real. He says, do you have Jesus as your Savior? Then you have life. Trust it. Don't let someone chip away at it. Don't let somebody try to pull it away and cause doubts. Don't live a life that causes doubts, you know, by by living in disobedience and disbelief. He says that's going to give you doubts. Matter of fact, that's the Holy Spirit's going to use that to say, you know, you need to get right. You know, you're going to start wondering about your security if you're not right, if you're not living right. So he's trying to bring you back into a right way of living with him so that he could reward you and help you and instruct you and guide you. He says, if you don't have him, if Jesus Christ isn't your answer for why are you going to heaven, Jesus Christ has died in my place, he is my savior, he's rescued me as him, I'm blood-bought by Jesus Christ, then you have an eternity of hell that is facing you. And that is terrifying. Solitude. Scary. Hot. Snakes. Darkness. All kinds of just horrible stuff. A lot of people wrestle with that. How can there be fire and heat and there be darkness? Well, you could be blind not see anything. God calls lost people blind a lot, so I think that that's probably the answer to that dilemma that a lot of people wrestle with. It's like, you know, can you imagine being blind for eternity, not able to see and groping around? You would hate to touch something. I'm imagine in that state. He says, "I don't want you that way. I want you to have a no so salvation." That's why he's building this up to where we're going in verse thirteen. We'll talk about more of that next week. But here he wants us to know, verse nine. Let's just read through it again. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. God is greater. Who are men? Fallible. We make mistakes. We get reports wrong. How many of us go back and read the redaction papers that are three weeks, three three months, or three years later? Hardly never. We remember the we remember the headline newspaper, Life Found on Mars, three weeks later. Not really. But we remember that one because NASA got their funding and they got it going. But they redacted all that and pulled it away. How many news? I could probably list all morning redactions that they put out that they've put out as truth. God does not redact. He tells it as it is. And we are to believe God and His witness is greater. He says, I made the world. I saved the world through a, you know, on an ark. I had Noah do that. I judged the world with a flood. There's evidence around the world that there's a worldwide flood, and yet we deny it. We'll believe a flood on Mars that has no water, and we'll deny a flood on Earth that is mostly water. Yeah, they are good at their job. They are good at their job of disinformation. So maybe we should believe God. He is the greater witness. For this is the witness of God which hath... Testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you and bears witness to yourself that you are the Son of God and that God's Word is true. It is there working in concert saying, Deny that. Believe Him. Deny that. Believe Him and His Word and His standard. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because He believeth not the record that God gave. Of his son, if you deny that Jesus Christ is other than the Redeemer, that He is God Himself, that He is the Creator, that He is the one who saves us, that He is the only Savior of the world, you are calling God a liar, and you do not have Him. That's why He started out before this with saying, "There are three that bear record." You know, and He talks about the, the Trinity, and He talked about how, how the Jesus' ministry that it started out with His baptism, it started, it ends with His death. You know, and that Jesus Christ is who He says He is. That he fulfilled all these things, and He's still testifying. Verse eleven, and this is the record that God hath given unto us: eternal life. And that this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Do you believe on the name of the Son of God? Then yes. Then you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Quit be doubters. Quit being doubters and be believers. Trusting in him and the power that Jesus Christ has given us Through his salvation, the confidence that we can have to walk through this life confident, not doubting, not knowing, not wandering, but confident that God has said, it is written in his word that we are to stand on these promises and we are to resist the devil and we are to be a witness, that we are to be a lighthouse, we are to be a warning to the lost that there is a way and there is a way that is true and it is here when we have this record before us. We have a lot of work ahead of us. The devil does his job well. But we're to tell them that they can have everlasting life. You can know that you have eternal security through Jesus Christ. It's not in ourselves. It's in Him and what He has done for us. And I hope that you have that today. And If you don't, you can. Repent of your sins and trust in Him. Throw in. It's all in with God. It's not like, well, I'm going to put one foot on one side, one foot on another. That's nothing. You'll go nowhere. Repent and trust in Him. Throw in with God. He is truth. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the, the life. No man comes to the Father but by Him. Let's close in prayer.